I'm Alex Perrottet with the first edition of Awkward Conversations, a series looking at who we are and how we talk to each other about identity, race and the complex and intertwined history of the peoples of Aotearoa. I'm here in front of an audience in the distinctive Gisborne bar and music venue Smash Palace. Why Gisborne? It's the centre of the Tuya 250 Kituranga commemoration of the first contact between Europeans in the shape of James Cook and Māori. 250 years after that face-to-face meeting, I'm here face-to-face with a live audience and two special guests to discuss issues we often shy away from. Um, so let me introduce our, our, our guests for this panel. We're welcoming Dr Wayne Nutter and we're welcoming Mei Chen. Uh, Wayne is Te Aitanga Aihoiti, Nati Poro, and also Nati Ira. He's done a PhD and, and, and focusing on traditional chants as a way of exploring and understanding Māori philosophy and behaviour. He, he's an academic, but he's also in, in management and, and governance roles in Tairawhiti and also Tolaga Bay, where he's from. Um, but his experience is broader than that. He's worked in, in, in health as well. Uh, and, um, and a real favourite of mine, uh, traditional navigation, um, which is just something we're going to see a lot more of this year. And, um, and I've, I've also dived into a bit of reporting on that at RNZ, um, the Wakahodua, the Kopapa, And uh, he sailed from Aotearoa to, to Rapa Nui, to Easter Islands. And so... Um, very um, grateful that he's here on the couch to give us his points of view, his expertise, and Mei Chen. And of course, if we go through the, um, the extensive CV, we'll be here. That'll fill for the full hour, won't it, Mei? So we'll, we'll just say public law expert, <laughs> managing partner Chen Palmer, adjunct professor, University of Auckland Law School, uh, government policy, Treaty of Waitangi Issues and Human Rights, which we're going to look at tonight. She's on the board of the Bank of New Zealand and sits on the Securities Commission. She's also an author in diversity and super diversity, which we're going to look into tonight as well. Born in Taiwan, emigrated to New Zealand in 1970. Can you put your hands together for Dr. Wayne Nutter and Mei Chen? So we're going to kick off a, a, a relaxed conversation, but we're not going to be afraid to get awkward and, uh, and to go into things that are perhaps uncomfortable, legitimately uncomfortable to talk about, um, because that's the whole point, get these things out in the open. Wayne, if I could start with you to talk a little bit about your concerns about identity, um, your own upbringing in, in, in this area, and what you see in the young people that you're dealing with in terms of their own sense of their own identity, and whether we've seen much change uh, in that generation. Four questions in one. I'll start at the end. I'll start at the last one. I went to a birthday at uh, Muriwai Marae on Saturday night, and I always feel um, really, really thrilled that there are cohorts of young uh, Māori women uh, absolutely confident in who they are, raised by their village or villages, um, and have the world at their at their feet. Um, and that's not an isolated case. So there are cohorts of our kids who, uh, by design, more than anything else, are growing up as Māori, in te reo Māori, very much Māori, and that's a real um, pointer to what our future can look like and will look like. So that sits there now and in the future. If I think about, um, you don't notice those sorts of things if you're a child. It is what it is, and that's those are the conditions you grow up in. And so, um, if if I think about growing up in a little place uh, called Otanga, 
You grow up in a place that you don't notice anything about race until you encounter it. Um, you're, you're the majority, but interesting enough, your parents defer to Pākehā in, in, in different areas, whether it's a, a manager of a farm or, or the shopkeeper or the post master or whatever it was. And, and, and you, you notice those things and, you, and they're normal. And only on reflection you think, why did that happen? How did that happen? Why did we let it happen? Uh, does it still happen? If it does, what do we do about it? There's a great opening. May, you, in a sense, grew up here, but one of only two Taiwanese families in the South Island. Well, I was fascinated by what Wayne was saying because, you see, we're used to thinking of Tangata Whenua as a minority, but actually in Tairawhiti, they're a majority. And, you see, we need to change our view of who New Zealand and New Zealanders are. Because when we think about New Zealand, most people think about European New Zealanders and they think about the fact that we're very homogeneous. And there's no doubt that when, when my family immigrated to this country, you know, we were very much in a minority. In fact, it was so sad that my mother said to me that I'd have to marry the, sec the boy that came in the second Taiwanese family in the South Island because there was nobody else. <laughs> um, of course, that's profoundly changed now. And part of the reason I shifted from Wellington to Auckland uh, was really to understand how the country had transformed. Uh, I always say that I went to Auckland to come out as a Chinese person. Uh, because, because, of course, in Wellington, I think that visibility, you know, you're just one of us, you're not really Chinese. Well, yes, actually, I am. Uh, and when we look now at a population where one in three in Auckland are Asian, when we are talking about Auckland as the fourth most super diverse city in the world, super diversity meaning not born here, all these people not born in this country, we need to have this conversation. I don't understand why it needs to be awkward. You know, relationships are only healthy if you talk to each other. And that includes the good stuff and the hard stuff. And unless we give visibility to the issues that invariably arise, how that impacts on our identity as a nation, how that impacts on the values that makes us New Zealanders, that we're proud of, and that we want to retain in this country, then we're going to have trouble. It was hard before for Māori. It's got no easier for all of us act actually now because we are less like each other than we were before. And that trend will continue as we get more and more people coming in. And also, you know, we are sorting this out a bit in the bedrooms of the nation. By 2038, Stats New Zealand tells us that 51% of people in this country will identify as Asian, then Māori, Pacifica, but 65% will still identify as European New Zealander. Now, that's my son. He's got Scottish grandparents on the one hand and Taiwanese grandparents on the other. Identity is going to become more complex. Get used to it. And get better at dealing with people who are not like you. You say we get along. Is it enough, though, to get along? And you, and you also say, why does it need to be awkward? That's the country we're living in, Aotearoa. We don't necessarily like to face difficult things and talk about them face to face, which is what we're doing here tonight. Wayne, do you find that Pakia don't want to face up to some of the issues of the past because simply, well, we get, we get along fine, don't we? We're getting along well. In fact, we're doing a lot better than a lot of other countries, especially that one across the ditch. I've got friends who are Māori. 
I've really. got friends. Yeah. I've got friends who are Māori. Yeah. Hey, class, okay. Um, yeah, but um, what, what May mentioned about um, growing diversity, we've got to be mindful of how does that sit in a country that has the Treaty of Waitangi, which, puts, which, which places particular significance on the relationship between Crown and Māori. Um, how do Māori view that? Do we feel threatened? Some may, but we've got to ensure that th that relationship with the Crown is solid, which means we do not become a republic or, you know, we lose some leverage. Um, we have nowhere else to go. This is our country, so we've got to accept that there's growing diversity, we're going to be uh, more of a minority. What is our place? Mm, and that's right. really important, because in, under Titiriti you've got Māori and you've got the Crown. So where is the place of Tauiwi in all of this? And what respect do they have for Titiriti or Waitangi? They come to this country, if they are not informed and educated about the Treaty of Waitangi, they say, well, well how come they get all the privilege? And well, then we end up with divide and rule. So for one discriminated peoples to be divided with another discriminated people and to be fighting them as well as everybody else is really just not the way we want to mm. do this. New Zealand needs to be a successful, super diverse nation. We need to be a successful multicultural society, but on a bicultural base. And that's why it's so important that the Tauiwi that come understand that they are part of the crown, that there is a place for them in the treaty, and they need to understand what Titiriti is. They need to understand that the basis on which they came to this country is not the same basis as the Indigenous peoples. Mate, this is their country. So because of indigeneity and because of Titiriti, they have unique rights. When we came to this country, we just wanted a better life. We wanted a fair shot. Uh, my dad came here because He's a fantastic Olympics gymnastics coach. You wanted him to train your gymnastics team. I didn't want special treatment. I just didn't want to be discriminated against. I wanted a fair shot. I wanted to work hard, and if I worked hard and mucked in, I wanted to be able to make it, have a better life. So I think that there is a place for Tawiwi. They just need to know more about the constitutional context in which they arrive. And unless we sort that out... As the numbers change, it is going to result in friction between Tangata Whenua and the people that come. If the people that come don't understand uh, the place of Tangata Whenua, but also it's important. There is not a lose-lose here, there's a win-win. <laughs> I mean, you know, there's a lot of uh, Tanifa Dragon stuff going on now. Uh, there is Māori produce, Asian pipelines, better, higher value for produce. There are very productive relationships between these different uh, groups of people. And also, tell me, if you have Pākehā culture on the one side and it is mainly individualistic and low-power distant, who's on the other side? Well, on the other side is Māori and Asians and Pacifica, actually. We are collectivist cultures. We venerate our ancestors. Uh, we are whānau-based. It's all about the family. Mm -hmm. there, we have so much in common. We have more in common than we have apart. You're listening to RNZ and the first of a series of awkward conversations mounted in association with the Taha Trust as part of the Tuia 250 Kituranga event, marking the 250th anniversary of the first contact between Europeans and Māori. Here at Smash Palace in Gisborne with me, Alex Perrottet, our cultural expert, Dr Wayne Nutter, and legal expert, May Chen.
you talk about people coming here trying to understand Te Tiriti o Waitangi. Do the people of the nation understand it enough? Do the Pakeha learn enough about it? Um, because shouldn't they first have a good grip on it uh, to be able to teach those who come? I, I came here myself from another country. I go to university to do postgrad and I learned a lot about these things and sometimes I feel that I'm leapfrogging some Pakeha because there's a whole lot of Pakeha that have not had that experience. Why not? There are some embedded attitudes. So that attitude is, well, we, we had a treaty, a whole lot of things happened before and certainly after that treaty which resulted in loss for Māori, um, but gain for someone else. So those gains were significant, uh, not easily given up. We've had a whole regime of Treaty of Waitangi hearings and, and, and claims, hearings and settlements, and still going. But if you were to put to, to work out the quantum that was lost and compared to the quantum that has been returned, so to speak, then, you know, it's laughable. However, people have want to move forward. Um, I've, I've always maintained that if you wanted to go down the, the treaty track, claim, um, research, um, you know, hearing, all those sort of things, you dedicate your life, literally. And a lot of our people have dedicated their lives, that literally their lives. So they die in the process. Um, so if you go back to the 70s, 80s, and you think about our situation then and what we're like now, there's been major change. That does not mean, though, that there is not that embedded attitude still there, and you still have to deal with it. The facts have changed. And as Heraclitus says, you can't stand in the same river twice. And the wonderful thing now is that we have a Māori economy and it's worth over a billion dollars. So even if they don't want to know about Titariti, the reality is that you can't actually get through life in New Zealand without acknowledging aspects of it. If you want to do anything with water, try ignoring Māori. Won't get very far, will you? There was a time when people weren't interested in dealing with Māori, but now the organisations I sit on say, well, they're important. You know, there's an Amari economy. There are businesses there. We could service them. Uh, they've got funds. We, they might want to bank with us. The way that I find that it's uh, most effective to engage with Pākehā and Titariti is to talk to them in a language that they understand. And unfortunately, often that is self-interest. So this is about customers. This is about workers. And it's the same with the super diverse population. Uh, they're not really interested in all of that but they are interested about losing market share. So if you say, well, what's the ethnicity of your, your customer base? And they say, well, it's predominantly European. You then show them a graph, which shows that all the growth is actually in the ethnic segment. Uh, you point them to the fact that 50% of the talent pool in Auckland are actually migrants and their New Zealand-born children. So you ignore that segment at your peril, particularly when we've got the lowest unemployment that we've had forever. Uh, you think about customers and who you're servicing. But if they're one in three in Auckland, it's pretty difficult for you not to get some cultural capability and Asia capability. So all I'm saying is that uh, you can cut your noses off to spite your face, but actually this is who we are. And uh, Māori are a significant part of the population. And, and let's get to the stage where we're sophisticated enough not to talk, to them, talk about them as Māori. They're iwi, they're hapu and not to talk about them as Asians. Um, actually, there's 4.4 billion of them, and they live in 52 countries. Which ones were you meaning? 
you still feel that? You still experience that dealing with customers, dealing with clients? Are, are you are you that are you that woman that cooks? Uh, no, no, that's Nadia Lim, and she's Malaysian. Oh, are you Melissa Lee? Uh, no, she's a member of Parliament, and she's Korean. Are you Pansy Wong? Well, actually, no. Pansy was born in mainland China. Um, do I experience this every day? Hello, is this your first time in New Zealand? Where are you from? Remuera. Where are you really from? So, it, you know, you can't tell us apart. That's all right. For now. But, you know, it would be good. Asia New Zealand Foundation did that study and found that in terms of Asia capability in New Zealand, it's two out of five. For a country with such a significant Asian population and with such a significant trading relationship with Asian countries, is that all right? Probably not. It's probably not going to allow us to maximise our full economic, cultural, social, environmental uh, capital. The, the, the irony of that is, is that prior to, say, middle of the 19th century, um, Māori economy was really, really strong. And then we had this period of time um, from the, the 1860s on through the 1880s and subsequent to that where uh, numerous um, rebellions were squashed, <laughs> confiscations, all those sorts of things took place. And there was a real pushback from a settler economy to a burgeoning economy that was developing. Now, um, May's right, things have changed in terms of Māori economy, where it's actually around, uh, my last figure was around 40 bill. Now, it might have gone beyond that. I could be sarcastic about it and say there's these big settlements coming out, so therefore the banks target you, the accountants target you, all the professions target you. The businesses want to do business with you, and that's good. But it's about who's in charge. Um, and the, 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 the important thing is that Māori do make the point, and those Māori economies do make the point, um, we are here, and we're here for a long, long time. We talked about Auckland and the rate of change. Wayne, are you worried, because that, that the rate is so fast, that the newcomers don't pick up the Māori stories, the story of this nation will be lost? Um, interesting enough, um, what I do find uh, is that the newcomers are more keen to engage with the Indigenous story. Every time uh, people uh, gain their citizenship, for instance, uh, here in Gisborne, I take note of that, and I, I sort of ask myself now, where have these people come from, what have they been through to get to this point? But I do know that there are growing numbers of people who come in new into the country who want to engage, who's, and some see it as an obligation to engage with the Indigenous story, whether it's the treaty or whether it's cultural, Māori cultural things, um, including the language, actually. Mm. May, do you see pockets of migrants coming into New Zealand at a rate where you think, gosh, you know, I, I, I hope they do take on more of the culture of Aotearoa rather than maintain their own culture too well, much in well, pockets around the country? So what I do know is that all countries allow people in, not as a right, but as a privilege. And that New Zealand is no different from any other country. We should let people in who are good for this country 
and who will be committed to this country and who are not here to take and then go, but who want to build this country. My family came to this country and we are committed to this country. Uh, I have three other sisters. We grew up here. Uh, most of the children are here. There are now nine mokapuna running around procreating and doing various things. <laughs> so, so, you know, we, we are committed, and I want to make sure that other people who come here are similarly committed. Um, and so I think it's important for us to think about who we want here. Obviously, we have international obligations regarding refugees. Uh, the quota's gone up. Uh, it's still not that high, um, but it's good that we recognise our international obligations as an international citizen. I do think we need to be thoughtful about who would flourish here. Um, you know, when we came to this country, uh, my father was sought after. They wanted him here. Um, but we didn't speak English, and that wasn't a good thing. Uh, it would have been good had we been required to speak English. I think coming to this country and not being able to speak English was very hard. I think it was very hard not being able to understand what food you were buying and various things. I, I do think that uh, English language is important. Um, in the 2013 census, it's, it, told, it tells us that 90,000 New Zealanders didn't speak any English, and I think that is very hard. I don't see how you can assimilate into a society or participate in it. I, I, you know, and I think that's important. You know, we, we've seen the problems when there isn't good social capital, when people aren't well integrated, when, when, you, when you get people who are marginalised. Uh, and we also very much, Alex, we want people to feel that they've come to a country where they can maximise their full potential. If you get people who feel that they're just not going to be given a fair shake and they're going to be discriminated against, they're not going to be very happy members of your society. Mm. But there are pockets where you can, and I'm talking about very small localised places, where you can get away with not speaking English. It might just be one particular street that, that someone might be servicing a dairy, that's servicing a big block of student apartments where they're, where they're looking Alex, after we, migrants. We're in, we're in one of those countries that that is monocultural, monolingual, uh, as Sam Karitu would call monoglots. Um, and that comes through in, in a particular type of behaviour. I, I take the point May's made about people coming in here um, need to be able to communicate in English. Now, ironically, that goes against what I would want people to do. I would want people to be strong in their culture, strong in their language. English you can use for a particular purpose. Now, if English is the language of the economy, good and well. Um, it should not, though, be the language of education. I'm an educationalist. But the language of education should be the language that people are strong in, or languages that people, that, that are their languages. Um, Do you notice we have this debate about te reo and English, and there's yeah. this undercurrent of thought, which is that it's, it's somehow impossible for young people to grow up speaking just t two languages, Said. just two. Well, yeah. go to Europe and you'll find they all speak six. Said. And they're really unimpressed when you tell them that you speak English. And they say, yes, and French, German, Spanish. You know, I've just come back from Europe and we, we, we went around five countries and I spoke at various conferences and we did various things. But I, I just, I just realise um, that we are still a long way from everywhere else and, and that actually we, we do need to realise that in a lot of countries around the world they have to deal with uh, people from a lot of different cultures 
and and that's a rite of passage and it's a fundamental aspect of being a successful person and successful in business and a successful leader. You have to be able to deal with people from different cultures, people who are not like you. Uh, and so it will be good that we grow that ability. Uh, in our Bill of Rights in New Zealand, in our Bill of Rights Act 1990 is enshrined under Section 20, the right of minorities to do what uh, Wayne is saying, that they can practice their religion, their language and their culture. And I think that is really important because it's a part of who they are. But it is also important that they are able to um, be a part of the society and community. I, d I think it is really hard when you don't speak English. Uh, I, I know that it's hard for me and I speak English. If people are rude to me, <laughs> I, I can at least express myself in English as to how I feel about that. Uh, I think it would be very hard if you were not able to speak English well um, because it would affect your confidence, I think. And uh, there's no doubt that in many jobs the ability to be able to speak and write in, in English uh, is important. Having said that, now that we are such a super diverse society, it is also important to recognise that the ability to speak to Rao Māori and the languages of many of the growing ethnic minorities is also very relevant if you're wanting to service those customers or if you're in government and your job is to ensure that you are protecting and providing services to all New Zealanders. If you're a public servant, it matters that you have people in the staff that reflect New Zealanders and that can understand the perspectives and the issues of all New Zealanders. Otherwise, government and the public service end up protecting and servicing a smaller and smaller number of New Zealanders over time. Seeing yourself in, in, in the services, exactly that. So, so as a Māori, I, I would want to see myself in the services that are being provided. As a Māori child in particular, I would want to see myself in what's been taught or learnt and the people who are delivering. Um, and that's just the Māori part of it, mm. let alone the more diverse. What's changed since you were a child in terms of wh wh where have we really improved and where are there big gaps still? Uh, there's massive gaps in terms of the diversity of, say, teachers. Um, it's still very much a, a white system non um, Pākehā kids every day face someone who is not them and who is not reflecting what might be their values, their language, their culture, the way they do things. Because if I'm a Māori learner and I'm engaging with a Māori teacher, I find that's very powerful. And you know, as a, as a child at uh, Mangatuna School, just north of Tolaga, uh, we had a teacher, she died a few years ago, by the name of Matilda Keelan. She wasn't our teacher, she was a teacher aide, but we thought she was the world. Because she, not only was she our auntie, but she was Māori, and we knew, we knew who she was, and she knew who we were, not as students. Not to say that the two Pākehā teachers there weren't good, they were brilliant, but this one Māori woman, uh, we put our trust in her, and we gained a hell of a lot from her being there, just being there. Yeah. And, and if, you, if you scale that, um, and it happens now, but not to the extent that we would like it to happen. What, what needs to happen? It, it's as much about numbers as it is about quality of non-Māori teachers. Numbers of Māori teachers 
as it is about finding friends in non-Māori staff. How do you find friends? It's about changing behaviour and attitudes. That's hard work. You're changing really deeply seated ways of doing things. So it's, it's not one, one thing, but certainly more Māori teachers, more quality Māori teachers, more teaching in Māori. There are nearly a million children in the system. Um, there are 75,000 people in the workforce, teachers and others in the workforce. Of that, there might be less than 16,000 Māori in there, or actually less than that. Uh, of that, um, about 200,000 Māori kids. Of that, um, 19,000 are taught in Māori. The vast majority are in a system that, in, in, in the main, they face non-Māori people every day. And they have um, issues or they, they, they encounter issues of low expectation, of bias, and that shows in the way or the achievement rates that come about. Now, that's really simplifying it. it it's, yeah. bit, it's much more complex, but it's not... There is progress, but it's not good enough. So role models matter. Seeing that people like you can actually do it, seeing like that people like you can actually make it, and that there isn't a, a, a flax ceiling or a bamboo ceiling, uh, being able to reach out to people and saying, you look like me, could you mentor me, could I do that? Um, having women like Kitty Allen in Parliament matter. Uh, she, she raises the expectations of all young Māori women that this is something they could do. Uh, it's not that you can't get mentored by other people, it's just that the advice they give you may not be accurate for a person that looks like you uh, because there will be unique issues that arise for a person like you. The advice will probably not factor in the discrimination that you may encounter along the way, which means that you have to do things in a slightly different way. So I don't think you should ever underestimate how important it is that people can see themselves reflected in the society that they live in. And for a long time, we hardly saw any Māori faces. We saw hardly any Pacifica faces. We're now seeing some Māori faces and Pacifica faces. But actually, the Asians are still invisible. And I, so many people said to me after the mosque attacks, gosh, who knew we had a Muslim community in Christchurch? Yeah. Well, <laughs> if you discriminate against a people, they, they disappear. disappear. <laughs> mm. They become invisible so you can't hurt them. We need to make these people visible. They are here. This edition of Awkward Conversations features two speakers well qualified to discuss how we define ourselves and think of others, Dr Wayne Nutter and Mei Chen. We're talking in front of an audience at Smash Palace in Gisborne at an event created through partnership with the Taha Trust as part of the Tuia 250 Kituranga event, which marks the 250th anniversary of the first contact between Europeans and Māori. I'm Alex Perrottet in the chair for this RNZ recording. Turning the conversation now to Tuia 250 um, this year, where we're looking into how we're commemorating and celebrating things, is it just too simple to be looking at it in terms of Māori and Pākehā? We, we've got to think, okay, who are these communities in our country and what role do they 
or can they play in these commemorations? I think commemorations are really important. Um, they give visibility to celebrations. But actually, I think that the day-to-day -day is much harder. The marriage ceremony is the easy bit, and then it's the ever after that is the hard bit. And what most of these people will say to you is, we think it's fantastic that the community came out and said this was terrible and despicable what happened in Christchurch. But you know, frankly, if I could go to work every day and not get spat at and screamed at and pushed and abused, that would be really fantastic. So I think, um, I think the real acid test for this country is whether these people, you know, they're not talking about special treatment, that they would just like to be treated with respect and dignity. You know, the United Nations uh, Declaration on Human Rights is always so fantastic because uh, it talks about the fact that we're all owed uh, equal respect and we sh all sh should all be treated with dignity. We're, we're back to Martin Luther. And Martin Luther King said, I don't want to be judged on the colour of my skin. I just want to, or, or my religion, or what I'm wearing. I just want to be judged on the content of my character. So I think that's the real acid test for the country. I think it's great that we're going to have this celebration. But it's the day-to-day -day stuff that really gets you down, actually. It's the stuff where you think, oh, we're such a great country and we're over it. And then you just head out the door and somebody yells at you or pushes you. You, they, you've never met them. They don't know who you are. Uh, but, but it is the unfairness, the inherent unfairness, that someone would judge you on the basis of a visible characteristic that is actually irrelevant to anything of merit. And the fact that they're not actually able to see that for many people who are of different ethnicities, they understand the importance of making a contribution to this society. People often ask me why, you know, I do all of this work uh, in superdiversity. Well, because I can, and I think it's a contribution I can make to this country. And as somebody that came to this country and adopted this country as my own, I want to make it better. I'm motivated to do that. I think there are so many migrants who come to this country who are motivated to make this country better. And it's disappointing for them if they are not judged on the content of their character, but they are judged solely by the colour of their skin. Um, just going back to the Christchurch, it'd be interesting to see what happens on March 15th in 2020. Um, it'd be interesting to see what happens in January, February, after two years, 250 is done and dusted, so to speak and what, come, what happens in the day-to-day -day stuff. Do, do attitudes change? Does behaviour change? Legacy around storytelling in particular will help raise their level of engagement with wider society through their own stories and that kids in particular can see themselves in the story. Hine Matsuro or and the Kumare out here in Manutuke, that sort of thing, uh, you know. And, and feel proud about that. And it sounds really ethereal, but it, it, it does result in a certain level of success that I hope will bring those negative stats down big time. It's a damning indictment on our own society that we have that in place. And it's, it's entrenched, it's, it's intergenerational. Not good, not good at all.
And it won't be fixed by a commemoration. It won't be fixed by a commemoration. Hmm. It'll be fixed by a generation. Hmm. Hopefully this generation and the next generation. Certainly. But, it's just, but once again, it's about visibility. These are stories that haven't been told. Uh, you know, we've, we've had a particular um, cultural perspective on history. This is untold history from a Māori perspective. Yeah. I didn't know about it. We need to know about it. And if, if we can't tell that history here, where else would we tell it? The people are from here. So it, I think it's critical. Time now for audience questions in this edition of Awkward Conversations. Uh, Ming Foon, uh, Meryl Gisborne. So um, I find um, some of my harshest credits are our own people, within our own families, within our own communities. What is your experiences? Same. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting, that one, Ming. I mean, yeah, our, uh, our late brother, Paratene, used to always say, you think you've... You've, you're achieving something, you're just about to the line and your own tackle you from behind. Um, that was one of his favourite sayings. And, and, and our, our own are our worst critics, but they'll always be there for you in tough times. Is that human nature? Or, or is that a, a, a result of a, uh, a people who are going through desperate times? I'm, I'm not sure. I've never studied that. But it, it certainly is all around us. Um, and, and we encounter it every day amongst our own. You might praise somebody and, and someone will um, be quite um, critical of them. And, and, you know, sometimes I think to myself, ah, I'm trying to be positive here. We're just trying to uplift something and someone's knocked them down. Is that right? Is that good? Some would say that uh, one of our principles or the mo that we model and should model is around whakaiti. There's a certain level of whakaiti that is right, is correct, about being humble, um, but not, not being nasty about it. Uh, and we do get nasty about it. I don't know why. Is that human nature or is it a cultural thing? Tēnā kura, Kiri Ellen, Member of Parliament. Wayne, uh, you, you mentioned um, about some of your fears if we were to become a republic in terms of its consequences on uh, Te Tiriti or Waitangi and the partnership with the Crown. I'm interested just on you elaborating a little bit more on that and May from a constitutional law perspective. They would know more. I'm interested <laughs> in your perspectives on uh, the impacts of a republicanism and what you perceive that would be on the treaty. We're dealing with the crown, so does the crown disappear if, if uh, we become a republic? Therefore, does the, the protection of the treaty disappear? That's a, a legal constitutional question. So if we become a republic, what happens to the treaty? We are already a de facto republic right now. The reality is the Queen does not sit in New Zealand. Her representative does. Uh, and so we are, we are really effectively... Uh, a republic, but we, we don't have a president as such. Um, I think the only important thing from Titoriti's perspective is that we have an agreement, a political mandate, because as long as the substantive fruits of the treaty are retained and enshrined in a, a higher law entrenched constitution, which only Ms Allen would know because she's a good constitutional lawyer, then, then actually you can change the form 
of the government. I mean, th as you know, there are there are then all of these issues. Are you going to have a president? Is it going to be elected? Is there going to be a plebiscite? How are you going to do all of these things? What powers is, is the president going to have? But uh, I think the, the more important issue for this country is whether we're ever going to move to a superior constitution of the sort that you see around the world and whether we are going to have one of those because I would have thought that the major stumbling block is enshrining the treaty in that legislation. As you know, Tiriti o Waitangi is half in and half out of the law at the moment. It's kind of there, but it's kind of not. But is that not a great opportunity, if that, if that comes up, to, in, to enshrine it? Well, it better? keeps coming up, and they keep not dealing with it because it's too big an issue, hope. and you can't get a political mandate for, to enshrine the treaty in higher law uh, because then it overrides everything. And so as a consequence, they back off. It's like water. Why didn't Jeffrey Palmer deal with water? Why didn't he put it in the RMA when he was working on that? Well, Maori came and said, we want half of it. So you thought, OK, we're not doing this now. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it, it is a big issue. It, it, it'll go two ways, Kitty. It'll get stronger because there'll be more of you. But actually, you need to make sure that the new Tawiwi that come understand the, 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 this issue. Otherwise, the political mandate will dissipate. You get an ethnoburb where 65 to 70% of the people uh, come from uh, other Asian countries, China, Taiwan, Korea. Um, they're, they're a member of parliament. Uh, it has to listen to what the electorate says. It, 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 it weakens some aspects of this political mandate to settle issues and to continue to uh, apply and enforce the titariti o waitangi if we uh, don't ensure that, that, that the people who come understand that as a fundamental aspect of our constitution. So are we in a race against time then? Uh, it's now. People say to me, oh, I, yes, you're right, we, we need to think about this and we'll put it in our 10-year plan. Well, that's wonderful because by then... Uh, we'll be right into the, the heart of superdiversity, which is why we need to think about these issues now. In fact, we needed to think about these issues about 10 years ago because it, it's kind of happened, and now we're thinking, oh, gosh, gee, there are issues, you know, wow. It's um, political hot potato. Yeah, Christchurch mosque attacks. Gosh, what caused that? Were the security agencies, you know, on the ball? Did they miss something? I mean, was there a superdiversity framework that was put on their role? so that they were looking at it from the perspective of all of the peoples in New Zealand. And is that superdiversity framework being applied to the whole of New Zealand? Uh, everything that government departments do, everything that government does. Have we discussed a model of multiculturalism on a bicultural base? What does that mean? What does it mean constitutionally? What does it mean in terms of allocation of resource? Uh, what does it mean for so many policy and legislative and regulatory parameters? I don't think we've, we've started to think about these issues and all I'm encouraging us to do is to do this because we can be ad hoc and reactive. But let me tell you, that is not a recipe for a successful, super diverse society. So, May, you've mentioned um, the um, multicultural society based on the... Um, what is it? A multicultural society on a bicultural uh, yeah, base. Um, what do you... Give us an interpretation. Well, uh, the, the reality is that, that we are, we're a bicultural society because of Titiriti. We've got Māori and the Crown. But actually all of these other people have come now 
and they don't see themselves as part of the European New Zealander crew because they're not. Um, they came later. So they, th they see themselves as Tauiwi. Where do they fit? Well, they have to fit somewhere, and we are a multicultural society. That's not a political statement. It's just a fact. Uh, and, you know, when I wrote the Superdiversity Stock Take, people were really interested because it was factful. I think we need to look at the facts. And, you know, when you take up your role as Race Relations Commissioner, we need to look at the facts. If you look at the uh, demographic data of this country, you know, you, you'll start to see that our whole conception of majorities and minorities has gone out the window. You know, in America, in 10, 15 years' time, they will have no major ethnic group. Huge numbers of Hispanic, blacks, Asians, uh, and other ethnicities. In New Zealand, you know, who's, who are majorities? Who are minorities? Things are changing. Numbers have changed. Uh, and so I think that uh, it's important for us to factor that in. And I think there are uh, some uh, Kiwi who are worried about our identity. Will we lose our identity? Will, it, will we lose uh, titiriti? Uh, will we lose the Māori aspects of our identity, which are fundamental? I don't think we can afford to lose them because there is nowhere else for Māori to go. They're here. Actually, what it means is that we need to understand that New Zealand is wonderfully unique. Auckland is the fourth most superdiverse city in the world. Um, and we need to start thinking what that means for us. We have a unique identity, and we need to show the world how successful that can be. I'll tell you what's really unusual about us. We have such a large number of indigenous peoples mixed together with such a large number of Asian peoples and such a large number of Pacifica peoples, being the biggest Pacifica city in the world up in Auckland. You know, um, that could actually be a recipe for disaster, or it could be a huge success story. We, we have made it quite successful to date um, by just ignoring it, really. I'm saying that the time for ignoring it is over. I think we need to do this visibly now, and I think we need to do this deliberately. Um, kia ora korua me te irirangi mua te Aotearoa, uh, um, Thank you for your discourse. Uh, I, just before I ask my question, I noticed, uh, May, that you used the word celebrate of this period of time, and Wayne, you used the word commemorate. We both use we both, use both words, actually. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, here in Tairawhiti, Tūronga, Uawa and Anaura, we I really like to think we're the centre of the universe of the meeting of two peoples uh, 250 years ago. So, what I'd like to ask you in particular, Wayne, um, it's a pause point in history. Um, I'd like to know what you think that this pause point in history can offer uh, for legacy for uh, going forward around uh, education, integration of te reo Māori in our normal everyday life and anything else that you might think of. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's easy. <laughs> um, I do think that the legacy, if I go back to uh, my comment about stories, starting with stories, it sounds really simple, allowing communities to tell their stories. The people in Tūranga here, and, and the Tūranga story is not one story. And it's not necessarily uh, uh, four or five iwi stories. It's all the stories within those stories as well. Huge. When we consider Tūranga Ararau, 
and all that type of corridor. Uh, and uh, against Poverty Bay, you know, it just hurts like hell. Because the place is rich, has been rich for generations, and will continue to be rich. Same in Uawa, same in Anoura, same anywhere else. Fitiang, the next one, further up the Coromandel, and everywhere else the, the fleet is going. You take the opportunity. There's six vessels coming here and a whole lot of manuhiri coming here uh, to commemorate, to celebrate, to do whatever, to be nosy, to protest, <laughs> to have a debate. Um, that's great because it gives rise and, to the stories, to the, to, the, to the multiple stories that can be told by the multiple hapu, karangatanga, whatever you want to call them. Um, and that's a major starting point for uh, deciding what our future is, a positive future. And can I say, final word? Yes. If you don't understand your history, you will repeat it. And the history that we've been taught is not complete. It's incomplete. So we are now, for the first time, fully understanding our history. And I think as a consequence of that, we will be more successful going forward as to what not to do. Uh, my understanding is that uh, when one of Cook's men saw a Māori, just shot him. Uh, well, it's not a good thing to do. <laughs> so we have to have accurate history uh, because, of course, history, as you know, depends on the teller. Yeah, come a long way, but there's a great opportunity. Anyway, I think we need to bring this session to a close. I hope it's been awkward enough. But anyway, we've had, we've had awkward conversations. You've been a part of it. Thank you very much. But I want you to put your hands together for Dr Wayne Nutter and Mei Chen. In the chair, I'm Alex Perrottet for RNZ.